Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. So glad that the Soto family is going to be, every member of the Soto family is going to be a gnat. Did you see that? No, I saw that. But one, there's look, only one you need to keep. I, well, there's only one you need. here's the thing. We've all learned it's the only way to get Michaels, you have to be friends with Tony. Right? That's how it works yeah. in the Kornheiser house, that's right? Fu- Come on. Yeah, yeah that's, that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. Sign every Soto there is. Sign D that's Soto. Exactly Bring right. him back. <laughs> The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. It's good that we use that lead-in because I talked about a DeSoto, D-E-S-O-T-O. Those were cars in the 1930s and 40s and 50s, and they disappeared by the 1960s. They were just sort of canceled. And the reason that's good is because that shows you that I know things that happened a long time ago. And one of the things that happened a long time ago, and one of the things that we're going to talk today, and the reason that Jeannie is here with us today is because of the passing of Veronica Bennett, who you would know as Ronnie Spector of the Ronettes, a very important person in rock and roll. I mean, you'd say, well, aren't you going to lead with Djokovic? I don't care about Djokovic. Djokovic is a liar. I don't believe a single word he says. When he says, oh, that was an innocent mistake on my visa application, it was not an innocent mistake. It was a deliberate lie. Somebody else did it, not me. Yeah, they pinned on the manager because they sat down and they said, how can we get away with this? I don't care if he plays or he doesn't play. If he plays, I hope he loses, but I'd rather he doesn't play. But we're not going to talk about him. We're going to talk about Ronnie Spector. Gene, you and I are the same age. We grew up at the same time. We have the same roots in rock and roll, and we both think that... The Ronettes and Ronnie Spector are extremely important to the culture we grew up in. Yep. And it's funny, looking back, they didn't have a huge discography. They didn't have a huge list of hits. That's right. But the hits that they had were so significant. And there were so many girl groups just kind of bursting onto the scene at that moment in time. And they cut themselves a different road through that crowd. Um, I read one critic who said they looked like they were looking for trouble on a Saturday night. And I thought, well, yeah, I used to look for trouble on a Saturday night, except I didn't look like I was looking for trouble. And and they did. And they deliberately did that with the big beehive hairdos, with the short skirts, with the slits up the side. They were d- trying to distinguish themselves from the pack from the Shirelles, from Martha and the Vandellas, from the Marvelettes, notably. Um, and they did that. Um, and they did it largely on the shoulders of Ronnie Spector. Well, and, and uh, Phil Spector may have always been a homicidal maniac. Yes. But he also, in that period of time, was brilliant. And there was a story written about him called The First Tycoon of Teen. He understood. He was a songwriter. He was a song producer. He was great at these jobs. And he saw in Veronica Bennett somebody, you know, a canvas that he could paint on. And in fact, he did. People will talk about Ike and Tina Turner. Phil Spector and Ronnie Spector were Ike and Tina Turner before Ike and Tina Turner. The movie just wasn't done about them. But that's who they were. I will tell you, and I've sat here before, and I've talked about lyrics This period of time, the late 50s and the early 60s, pre-Beatles in rock and roll, pre-Beatles, okay, pre-British invasion, this period of time, what you saw were boy singers, 
Elvis Presley and all of the Elvis Presley followers, boy singers who stood up there and swung their hips around and talked essentially about lust. Girl singers did not do that. The Shirelles, who you mentioned before, the Shirelles had many more hits than the Ronettes, and the Shirelles were great. They were great. But they wore party dresses. They were more wholesome. They were absolutely more wholesome, mm -hmm. and they were different. And the greatest lyric ever written for girls is written by Carole King. And it's, will you still love me tomorrow? You know, there's just no question about this. Although, it's, I would say that Be My Baby is a close second. We're going to get to that. Okay. Yeah, we're going to get to that. It, it's the Carol King tune, you know, tonight with words unspoken, you say that I'm the only one. But will the, the words be whatever it is, when the night meets the morning sun? I want to know that your love is a love I can depend on, be sure of. And, and it's all of these things. It's a song about self-delusion and doubt. That's what that song is about. If it's about lust, it's about lust on the part of the boy. It's not about lust on the part of the girl. It's about a girl timidly saying, is this going to work out? Or are you just going to leave me in the morning? What's the exact lyric? But still, it's about a girl having expressed herself sexually. That's right. That's right. The difference with the Ronettes was lust. Open lust. The Ronettes said, we want this too. This is, we're in this for, for this as well. And the lyrics are, the, night, the, the beginning is all you need to know. The night we met, I knew I needed you so, and if I had the chance, I'd never let you go. So can't you say you love me? I'll make you so proud of me. We'll make them turn their heads everywhere we go. That's we. The girl is active in this. This is a great, great lyric, and I would say, Gene, a liberating lyric for girls. Yes, she's... She's important. She's reaching out to the man. She's beseeching him. We don't know quite yet if he's interested in her, but she's laying down where she stands. Yeah, there's another song, Baby, I Love You. Oh, I'm so glad I found you. I want my arms around you. I love to hear you call my name. Oh, tell me that you feel the mm -hmm. same. This is an active role by a young girl, and Ronnie... Spectre dressed for it and acted for it and wanted to do this. These are girls expressing feelings. Before there were women singers, they happened to be women. This is, right, this is different. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't dismiss, you know, people like, well, Aretha a little bit later. Well, that's later. Yeah, but that's Leslie later. Gore and, right. you know, Brenda right. Lee even. Right. I mean, I... I, I don't want to raise up the specters, although I, the, the Ronettes, although I love them, at, at the expense of other talented women of that era. I, I think the other thing that was happening at that time was baby boomers were becoming teenagers. So there was this huge swell in the population of people like us. I know a lot of you listening hate us, but yeah. here, here we are. We won't be around much longer. Um, and... The U.S. economy was booming, so there were kids that had disposable incomes who could go out and buy records, and that included girls with their babysitting money going out and buying records yep. by girls instead yep. of just Elvis yep. or Fabian or any of those yep. guys. Again, this is late 50s, early 60s. Um, let me go back to the Carol King lyrics. So tell me now and I won't ask again. Will you still love me tomorrow? There's a hesitancy in that. There's a doubt in that. The, the doubt is totally removed by Ronnie Spector in Be My Baby. It's just, it, she says, look, come with me. Yep. You know, we together, we're going to light a fire I'll adore in the world. You. Yeah. You know, I will adore you yep. for eternity. Mm -hmm. Right. That's good. Listen to Cher, early Cher. She's channeling Ronnie Spector. Yep. Look at early Diana Ross. She's channeling Ronnie Spector. 
And don't you think that Diana Ross at some point in her life said, boy, I, I wish I could sing like Martha Reeves. I got all the hits, and I've got all the glamour, and I'm on the cover of the magazines, but I wish I could do that. They wanted to sing like Ronnie Spector. There's an ode to Ronnie Spector that Billy Joel wrote yeah. called Say Goodbye to Hollywood, Say Goodbye My Baby. Eddie Money, these two Long Island boys, which is why I relate to it. Eddie Mahoney and Billy Joel are from Long Island, as am I, and we're the same age. Um, Eddie Money said, just like Ronnie said. I mean, that's a song he did. These are tributes to Ronnie Spector. And this is why I wanted the open on A1. I and know. you said it wasn't even going to key on A1. And I and was right, yeah. Well, the, the thing, though, about Diana Ross, she was part of the Motown machine. Yeah. And those groups had etiquette lessons. They had choreography. They had stylists. Crossover was very important. Yeah. They, and, had to, they couldn't just appeal to a young black audience. They had to appeal to a young white audience as had, well, and they did. And they Barry did. Gordy just had this process that everybody went through. Now, they broke out of that sometimes, but nevertheless, they, they projected a much more sophisticated appearance and song selection, too. Did you know that Brian Wilson wrote Don't Worry Baby yes. for Ronnie Spector? I listened to it. It doesn't work. I mean, you can't imagine Ronnie Spector driving yeah. the car. You know, that's, you know, when you hear the Beach Boys singing, you go, oh, okay, I totally get that. A woman in a supportive role and, and a boy being afraid and all, all of that stuff to actually go out there and race. But he wrote it. He admired her that much. Um, Keith Richard, in introducing her to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, basically said, I'm in love with her. My friend Jody Forstott, who listens to this show, who is a doctor in Boca Raton, wrote me and he said, I had a crush on her. And I said, well, who didn't? Yeah. You know, what boy, that what... What was interesting about Ronnie Spector is what boy did not have a crush on her and what girl didn't look at her and say, I'd like to do that, right? She was wild, she, and, she, and she, was in, she appeared to be in control. That's sort of the difference. That's the irony. Well, which, <laughs> of course, she was not, not in control. In control. Um, apparently, Brian Wilson, the first time he heard Be My Baby, was driving in his car and pulled over and stopped and said, what is going on here? So, so Again, back to the lyrics. Be, be my on anybody's list, and and the reason I bring this up is because if you've never heard Carol King, the Shirelles had a lot of great records. Baby, it's you was a great record, but if you ever heard the girl in Smith sing Baby, it's you, you ne can't listen to the Shirelles anymore. I don't know. I've, I like them both. Well, you can like the yes. Shirelles, but will you still love me tomorrow? When when you hear Carol King sing that song, she owns it. She wrote it. You know, and, and I'm not saying it diminishes it, but it puts it a little bit on the side. Whereas yes. Be My Baby is one of, on, if it's not in the, it's got to be one of the top hundred songs of all time. Well, be My Baby, it's got to be. It's been called the perfect pop song. I mean, and, and it really was. And Carol King, interesting, when she heard the Shirelles first sing, Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow? She was so surprised that the beat was so fast because she had always conceived it the way she sang it, which was that sort of plaintive, slow song. Her voice, that thing she does, you know, with her voice, you can, everybody wanted to do that. Everybody wanted to do that. It's sort of the female equivalent of a teardrop that somebody like Frankie Valley, not Frankie Valley, Frankie Lyman could do. I mean, everybody looked at Ronnie specter and said i would love to do that i'd love to have that voice and it was great the way she pronounced words because she's an i think she's an upper manhattan girl not a bronx girl i think she's upper manhattan spanish harlem i think that's upper ronnie specter yeah we talked about? no yeah. spanish harlem yeah but isn't that actually in manhattan you know not, better than yeah, I. yeah i think yeah. that's actually in manhattan when she goes never let you go i mean that is a very new york accent i mean there was 
if you want to, again, compare to Diana Ross, I'm sure there was coaching. This is how this line is delivered. And there was this natural purring by Ronnie Spector. And interestingly, Frankie Lyman was in her neighborhood. She had a huge crush on Frankie Lyman. Really? And when she heard him sing, Why Do Fools Fall in Love? Which is also top 100. She heard that little sound and and embraced it and, and made it. Made it her own. Yeah. So um, the point you make is absolutely true. The catalog is small. Mm-hmm. I asked the you know the Alexa character to play um, songs by the Ronettes the other day, and you know, and most of them I didn't care about at all. I, in fact, I hadn't heard most of them, and they were not. It wasn't like whoa, look at this. But the songs you know, you know, you can listen to forever and ever and ever. They're really good. Well, part of the reason the catalog is so small, of course, is because she was imprisoned in 1968 by her husband, husband, so 66 by her husband, literally in Beverly Hills Mansion behind a chain link fence. Again, I mean, I understand that I can Tina Turner because of the movie. I get it. But this guy, this guy was well and you know Cher was a friend of her Cher sang backup on be my baby I think oh was, i didn't know that sunny yeah. and Cher sang yeah. backup well it's a bro building song right i mean they were all there sunny was a writer and you know but it was at gold star studios in california which oh. was phil Spector's okay big deal and in fact it was the first time ronnie had left new york she got on a plane without her sister and her cousin to go to california to sing be my baby with this enormous backup but Cher said to her once, Ronnie, look at Phil. You know, I mean, look at she says, I know, but you know, I love him. It, it's, yeah. so, love his blood. Yeah, the night we met, I knew I needed you so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, go I never let you go. Well, he's gone now because yeah. he spent the last but few years know, in prison. But you know, also, uh, I, I watched the Hall of Fame introduction uh, by Keith to the Ronettes. And he talks about the first time he heard them. Of course, the Rolling Stones opened for the Ronettes yes. in, in England. Yes. And he said he heard them practicing in some room down the hall. And he said they didn't need the wall of sound. They broke through the wall. And in a way, they did. So that's what Phil Spector was famous for, the way he produced records and a thousand instruments and weird stuff in the records. And my high school classmate, Jimmy Steinman, you know, internalized that and used to produce records in exactly the same way. Just an enormous sound, you know, almost Wagnerian. Yeah. Um, and that's what Phil Spector brought to it. I mean, and I don't want to, I don't want to diminish him as, as, as an influence on music because he was an enormous influence he on was. music. And Ronnie Spector was, was the mechanism which he used. So we have talked and talked and talked. I'm glad you wanted to talk about this. We lost most of our audience about four minutes yeah, in. Yeah, I think so. Because we're old people. Hopefully but... they'll come back for the NFL picks. Yeah. If you if you get a chance, if you don't know her work, just get Be My Baby. And then don't be embarrassed if you want to play it, I don't know, nine or ten times. Because it, it is that great. Uh, we will take a break, and Jason LaConfora will join us when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the policy genius read. If someone relies on your financial support, whether it's a child, an aging parent like me, or even a business partner, you need life insurance. 
Life insurance can give you peace of mind that if something happens to you, your loved ones will have a financial cushion to pay for things like rent, mortgage payments, loans, education costs, everyday expenses, big-time dinners at a restaurant if they ever open up again. Having coverage through your job may not be enough. Most people need up to 10 times more to properly provide for their families. And typically, life insurance gets more expensive as you age. So it's smart to get a policy sooner rather than later. Head to PolicyGenius.com, answer a few questions about yourself. In minutes, you can work out how much life insurance coverage you need and compare personalized quotes to find your best price. You could save 50% or more on life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius. The Policy Genius team works for you, not the insurance companies. Policy Genius doesn't add on extra fees. Policy Genius doesn't sell your info to third parties. Policy Genius has thousands of five star reviews across Google and Trustpilot. Trustpilot. Since 2014, Policy Genius has helped over 30 million people shop for insurance and placed $120 billion with a B in coverage. So head to policygenius.com to get your free insurance quotes, see how much you could save. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tiny words are not enough action. Tiny words are getting the way. This is Jim Fleming of Garrett Park, Maryland. Who writes, here's a blast from my misspent youth when I was an angry young man riding the punk new wave trend in L.A. in the late 70s. Rest assured that at 72, take that, Cindy Boren. I'm now an angry old man. Sound familiar? Please give a shout out to the musicians on this track. John Kemp of Brooklyn on bass. Bob Hardy now of Parts Unknown on guitar and harmony. Mike DeMarco also of Parts Unknown on drums. And the late, great Jeff Kartak of Minneapolis on sax. We used to practice at a rehearsal studio in Hollywood and, and on the verge of fame, the Go-Go's frequently used the room next to ours. Those girls were sneaky short. Oh, that's great to know. Jim Fleming, Garrett Park, Maryland. It's called Too Many Words. Great punk song. It plays in Jason Lock and Four of CBS Sports and, of course, his own radio show. I would have started with a bunch of different things, but, I mean, we ended up yesterday starting PTI with David Culley. Mm-hmm. Eight, co- eight coaches are now gone, I mean, if you count the Raiders. I mean, I assume that if the Raiders beat Cincinnati that they have to extend Versace I assume so but I don't know um firing David Culley I mean what is the rationale for that what do we think um I think it was sadly an inevitability um that's a team that's been sort of backwards and toxic a a franchise from from ownership on down that has has not really done things in a linear way or in a, in a cogent way or in an effective way. So if you recall last year, they, there basically were dual searches going on at the same time. Um, they paid a bunch of money to a search firm and had the search firm and the then team president um, putting together a list of candidates and interviewing them and, and getting pretty well through a GM search, basically to the point where, they were about to have sort of finals, make second interviews, and then the owner said, no, scrap that, I'm hiring Nick Casario, <laughs> which had been rumored forever and which he had tried to right. do in the past. And at that point, the whole you know idea of which coach was going to be with which GM and those pairings and everything were sort of out the door. And, and then you were also, if you recall, at a, at a sort of point in time, an inflection point with Deshaun Watson where he – felt like he had been told by ownership that he was going to have some voice in this matter. And instead, the guys who he most championed were sort of quickly cast aside when this initial coaching search was scrapped, this initial coaching GM search was scrapped. And so it drew 
his ire. And so at the end of the day, I, I, I mean, and this, this may sound crazy to a lot of people, but with how involved Nick Casario is during games and practices on the headset and involved in game planning and scheming and everything else, and with, their, um, with, with them not intending in any way to compete in 2021, uh, for myriad reasons, and in an instance where they, they were they were just jettisoning contracts all year long, you know what I mean? Whitney Merciless in season, just go ahead, see you, put them on waivers. Philip Lindsay, you know, just clear the contract, whatever. Um, you know, Zach Cunningham, oh, he's not a fit. Well, he's a pretty good football player. With that being the backdrop. Someone was going to wear this as the coach for a year. Someone was going to take part in all those press conferences and have to answer way more questions than anybody else in the organization. Um, and then that person, even if he overachieved, was quite likely going to be gone so that Nick Casario wow. and the owner could then do, you know, sort of their more robust head coaching search. And And I also feel like it was going to depend on how many other coaches were out there and how many other coaches got fired and are there some people out there now who weren't available a year ago who we think we need to move on. And I think the confluence of all those events um, led to this, but I also um, i am not surprised in the least, uh, unfortunately, sadly, because I think this was how it was always set up, to be more likely than not a one-and-done. Is Brian Flores on that list because he had worked with uh, Casario mm-hmm. with the Patriots? Could you see Brian Flores going there? I absolutely could. Okay. Because it makes no sense to have fired him at Miami after two straight winning seasons, right? Makes no sense. Well, I, I, I don't know that I would say it makes no sense because that's another one where the issues in the building and sort of some of the um, decisions that ownership were going to have to make um, they weren't entirely comfortable with. And it, it had been clear in that building and around the league for quite some time that Brian Flores um, was seeking um, additional power even to the, the, the pretty um, substantial power he had already assumed and that he wasn't real pleased with the GM. And, you know, he had thrown his weight around in the communications department and, and other things outside of just the coaching staff. And it had become, in many ways, his his building. And um, he was becoming, in the eyes of a lot of people there, and this isn't stuff that's just coming out after the fact. You can go back to what I was reporting in late October, early November, had become a bit of a tyrant. And so the owner, you know, came very close to doing something in midseason. Uh, because this was pretty much seen as untenable in his eyes. Then they reel off eight wins in nine games, and ultimately Ross had to look at this in its totality, and, and he decided that um, the type of management and leadership style that Flores was exuding wasn't going to work there. Um, and so I was the part that surprised me, Tone, is I thought he would probably clear the deck entirely. The fact that he kept the GM, Chris Greer, you know, surprised me. Um, and I would also say, you know, to your point about who else is out there and who else might fit, I understand what Stephen Ross said, you know, during his press conference about Jim Harbaugh. But if the Raiders don't win this weekend and Mark Davis decides he's blowing up his organization and he gets on his plane and flies to Ann Arbor, Michigan, you're yeah. going to tell me Stephen Ross is just going to sit on his hands? I don't buy that. 
Now, yeah, that's what I would to, think. Does he want to plunder the Bears Jim too. Harbaugh yeah. from his university, from their alma mater, in the middle of discussions about a new contract? No. But if it becomes clear that Jim Harbaugh um, is, in, is doing more than just winking at NFL teams, but is engaging in conversations with other owners, I have a hard time thinking Ross just sits it out, hoping he remains a Michigan man in Michigan. Okay. Let me switch from coaches to players for a second. It seems like Indianapolis is ready to pull the plug on Carson Wentz, mm-hmm. or is that a misread, right? Chris Ballard no, seemed right. to say, I don't, we don't need this guy. Yeah, what's going to go on there? Because, well, because Jason, if you're going to get rid of, of, of a quarterback, which is the most important position, you yeah. have to have some sense of who you're bringing in to be a quarterback. No doubt. And that's difficult to do right now. This is um, I talked to a couple of evaluators last night who, who are, work for teams that are very heavily invested in finding a new quarterback. And, you know, this quarterback class is um, you'll probably see three of them go in the top 12 or 15, three to four, just because of demand. But, but there's a lot of uncertainty about them, um, whether it's for size issues or medical issues or consistency issues. There's not a lot of surefire. You know, this kid everybody believes is going to be, you know, a long-term starter in this league, let alone a superstar. And I don't see the Russell Wilson, you know, in in Indianapolis. I, I don't see a lot of these guys who can call their own shots necessarily in Indianapolis. Um, you know, I would say it would make a lot of sense for Aaron Rodgers, but I don't know that Aaron Rodgers is necessarily looking to leave anymore. But I think Aaron Rodgers would look at that offensive line and look at that run game and look at some of the pieces in the passing game and look at that defense and the chance to play in a dome and be, um, you know, and be intrigued by it. But, but again, at this point, he's, he's, he seems to be laying the groundwork and foundation for a potential, um, you know, bridge there. So, yeah, Tony, I don't know. I mean, clearly what they got out of Carson Wentz was not enough, and it wasn't enough in some critical spots in particular. Uh, but I don't see a lot of people being interested in taking Carson Wentz off their hands. There weren't a whole yeah. lot of teams beyond the Colts who were super interested in it a year ago. Um, you know, I, Mitch Trubisky, Gardner Minshew, I'm just trying to think of second tier. Second, you know, Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, there's, there's always a middle class that you can – pick from but I don't I don't know what the answer is they're going to probably be stuck carrying um, at least some of Wentz's contract even if they do manage to ship him out they may have to eat some of that um, right. to do so it's 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 not an ideal situation and they've been chasing their tail at the quarterback position since Andrew Luck retired let me get to uh, because there are playoffs this weekend let me get to a, a question that we dealt with yesterday and we'll probably deal with again today and that is pressure on particular quarterbacks. It seems to me that five guys have more pressure than other guys. One is Dak Prescott, because he's in Dallas. It's simple as that. Matthew Stafford, Kyler Murray, Jimmy Garoppolo, because they're always threatening to take his job away, and Josh Allen, who you want to see. Well, who's the real Josh Allen? Of those five, who do you think has the most pressure on him in the first round? Um... Maybe, maybe Kyler Murray. He hasn't gotten paid yet. Um, that thing has been a tale of two seasons, pretty much every year he's yeah. been there. And it, and he's with a guy in Cliff Kingsbury. Where if you study his teams over time, this you know come out of the gates like uh, House of Fire 
fall apart in the second half. Like that sort of seems to be somewhat endemic to that. And the coach wants a contract extension, and the quarterback's now at the end of year three, where he, you know, he he's in line for um, he they could pay him as much as they want to at this point. He's out of the sort of the, the rookie three year window where he can't negotiate. Um, and that's, you know, ownership that's got to sit back and look at some of this and say, you know, how much of this is real and how much isn't it, it you know, is, is just sort of, um, you know, window dressing. But when we get down to having to compete with the best of the best, we're not good enough for whatever reasons. Uh, you know, the DeAndre Hopkins injury, I think, has really gotten in their heads a little bit. Yes. It's certainly a yes. factor in real life, but I think it's become a psychological factor for them. And the offense has constricted. Um and at, at, at times, Kyler Murray feels like I think he has to do everything and you know play hero ball, and and then that that can come back to bite them. And this is um, um, a pretty good team that uh, you know that they're facing. I don't think the Rams are world beaters, but they certainly have some individuals on that defense who can wreck a game. So I I, I would probably look at them because a lot of I mean Dak, you know, like there's pressure that there's always going to be pressure in Dallas. Um, but you know he, he's healthy for the first time in a while. He got through a season. He's paid. You know we can go through the other scenario. I mean Garoppolo, I think's right. been on the hot seat for a while. But but you know again he he achieved generational wealth. Um, there'll be a market for him if there isn't something there. And he's been dealing with this since all you know the whole last off season where they move up to third overall and play this whole to take a quarterback dance yeah. thing about yeah who they really wanted and when they wanted him and yada yada yada. Um, and and so I, I guess I, I would say Kyler Murray, not Matthew Stafford, with all the spotlight, with all you know the seven interceptions in the last three games, and the notion that he was going to deliver, and he's kept both teams in the game at the moment. Yeah, no, he's certainly the double agent thing is real. Um, I think he's another one. He's been hearing he can't win in the playoffs since you know. Going to the playoffs, what with Schwartz once and Caldwell. Well, he once. hasn't won in the playoffs. I no, mean, he he's zero three. Gotten there before, like I, I don't. Yeah. I mean, I just kind of feel like he's been there, done that, and he he can is at a and, and look, maybe Kyler Murray doesn't give a bleep what anybody thinks of him either. Um, right. But I, I think Matthew Stafford knows how much that coach. Um, Wants him to succeed. Knows how much that coach and and the whole you know organization invested in getting him in the first place. Um, and yeah, there's definitely pressure on him and Sean McVay. No, no two ways about it. To to make some hay in the playoffs after doing this. And let's face it, that's a team that's mortgaged a big chunk that's of right. the future in winning in yep. real time in the next few years with Matt Stafford and Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey while they're all still there. So. Yeah, if, I mean, if you skew that way, I'm not going to – like, I wouldn't argue the point. Um, you could make a case for any of those guys. Okay. All right, plug your radio show for us. Uh, if you want to hear me ramble even more in yes. the afternoon, yes. uh, from 2 to 6, you can do just that, Inside Access, on 105.7 The Fan in Baltimore, Maryland. You can listen to us on the Odyssey app. You could stream us at www. Dot one oh five seven the fan and as we were arguing yesterday, I believe even if you are in York, Pennsylvania and perhaps the greater Hershey area, you could still pick up our signal sometimes. Tremendous. I say I, I say that's happened, but everyone on our text line says I'm a lunatic, so I don't know. Believe what you want. 
It's great if you're driving by Hershey and going to the theme park. Absolutely, listen. Yeah, I still Thank think you, there's a part of, of that stretch of road, Tony, where it switches between our signal and like this alternative rock signal. But I think in the right moment, you could still catch inside access. I would recommend that. Thank you, Jason. Yeah. We'll talk Science, next scientific week. Scientific experiment. If anybody wants to go out there this afternoon and call into the show, we will definitely put you on air. Jason Lockin for our boys and girls. Uh, we will be back. Jeff Ma is going to pick some games for us. When we return, I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the X chair read. You may love your work, but do you love your office chair? Well, you would if you got an X chair. With an X chair, you can actually look forward to sitting in your office because your body will feel so much more supported and comfortable. And more comfort means more productivity. Helping your X chair pay for itself thanks to how much more work you'll be getting done every day. X chair is the master of your work, is it not? And if you're feeling tight or stressed, just turn on the Elamax massage feature and choose from four different massage options. If the office is running too hot or too cold, just flip on the Elamax temperature regulation and either heat or cool your lower back. And once you feel the customized support of X-Chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar, or DVL as those in the know call it, your back will never be happy in any other chair again. So try X-Chair for yourself risk-free for 30 days. Once you realize how much better your chair should be, you'll never go back. Go to xchairtony.com now. That's the letter X, the word chair, T-O-N-Y.com, or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR for $100 off your order. X-CHAIR has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. xchairtony.com. Use the code, people. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is sent to us by Philip Hoffman. It says, my name is Philip Hoffman. I'm the singer and principal songwriter for the band Azro Katie. C-A-D-Y. Azro Katie. We're a New York City-based band that's been playing clubs in and around the city for the past 10 years. Fun fact, I went on stage for the first time at 57 years old. That's cool. You wait a long time to do it. I hope you enjoy it. This is a song called I Need a Win. And of course, we use it to play in Jeff Ma because Jeff Ma is giving us wins. Michael, if people like bands, Azro Katie, they want to send us music, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at TonyCornizerShow.com. So before we get to Jeff, I want to read this particular email, which goes, Hi guys, wanted to share a gambling story. Legal sports wagering just became available in my state. I don't need no stinking bookie. I think Jeff Ma is so much smarter than anyone I hear talking about gambling that I got on his wagon and started parlaying his choices. One week he led with the Falcons against the spread, and it hit me like a thunderbolt from out of the sky. I should just tease all of Jeff Ma's picks into one bet. I call it the Ma Tease Falcon. Not Maltese Falcon, but the Ma Tease Falcon. And it hit this week. I bought Jeff Ma's picks eight points, and guess who made me sweat it out? The Falcons. It hit at plus 220 and made my weekend. Lachiserie for everyone on me. Love and kisses, Uncle Mo. When you hear something like that, Jeff, how does that make you feel? I mean, it makes me feel happy, but it also worries me because, you know, I, I feel some sort of responsibility to, to you know, help pe- make people money. And ultimately, I would rather lose my own money than lose someone else's money. So, uh, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm happy if I can make this guy his, his Maltese Falcon or whatever. Yeah, that's funny. That's a funny way to do it. All right, you wanted, you had 
Not a good week. You were two and four. You're still 49 and 38, so you're making money for everybody. You missed on Alabama plus three over Georgia, but you hit on the Georgia future bet, which it would seem to me is a much bigger deal. Can you explain that? Yeah, I mean, I, I had bet some Georgia futures at the beginning of the year because I thought they the, the number on them was pretty good. At, they were, you know, anywhere from seven to one to ten to one. Um, and, you know, I had those, that ticket all year, right? And so going into this game, for me, I had to figure out what to do, um, whether it's sort of what, what people would call hedging. And a lot of times in these situations, people will tell you to hedge. Now, the reality is that game, the line was probably um, pretty, pretty correct, meaning like the line should have been Georgia minus three. Um, I, I took Alabama with you guys last week. Now, I was in yep. Las Vegas last weekend, and I talked to a bunch of professional bettors. And one of the things they talked about was John Meshi being out, and it was interesting because they actually were telling me that they thought Georgia minus three was the value because Meshi, as a wide receiver, who was an incredible downfield blocker and was a lot of the reason that Devontae Smith won the Heisman, was worth two points to the point spread, which to me sounded crazy because he's a wide receiver. In addition, they said, you know, watching that first matchup, you know, as soon as Kirby, Kirby Smart realized that all he needed to do was blitz Bryce Young, they thought that Alabama was not going to be able to score very many points. So going into that game, I thought a lot about what I was going to do. And, and at the sec, at second half, where, when Georgia was down, um, you can bet in the second half. And so I ended up betting a fair amount on Georgia to, to sort of, you know, kind of hedge out my, my hedge. So ended up doing pretty well in that game. But it, it's sort of the, the journey of a better as you think about how to manage these situations, almost like a financial portfolio. I think that's wonderful. I'm so I'm so interested when you talk about that, the, the depth of it, because what I usually do is say, oh, Jeff, why are you taking the Jets with 16 and a half? And then I watched Buffalo score a late touchdown and doom you, and I felt terrible for you at that point. But I'm glad to know you had a really good weekend because on the college yeah, game, you, no, you won it, worked, it both it, ways. It worked out okay. And so a lot of the stuff that we talked about, you know, the teams that are out of it versus the teams that need, need the game did, did come into fruition. I mean, you had situations like you know tennessee not covering and you had situations yep. like indianapolis losing outright and and it just it just kind of happened all over the place so definitely something to watch out for at the end of next year too it, it it seems like those lines always get inflated and those teams with sort of no motivation come with plenty of motivation i was stunned on the tennessee game in particular it was 21 nothing at one point and that was the game i totally agreed with you oh yeah tennessee's going to cover the 10 oh no question and they did not. What do you got for us this week? Um, we're going to take Las Vegas plus the five and a half. Um, it's a slightly inflated line. Probably should be Cincinnati minus four. You know, obviously we've seen this game before, and people will look at the final score and say Cincinnati killed them. But that game was sixteen to thirteen, I believe. Like, you know, pretty uh, with about you know in the fourth quarter, and it was a much closer game than people would. Um, would believe and and Vegas also people are thinking this is like a pretty tough spot for them having played um, you know an overtime and short week and all that kind of stuff but um, Vegas is a team that can get after the quarterback and and I think Cincinnati kind of struggles a bit with that I think this is going to be a lower scoring game than most people think and I like the five and a half points okay what else I'm going to take New England plus the four um, against Buffalo um, obviously we saw this game 
twice, and, and the line um, both times they played was, was much closer to two and a half, right? Buffalo minus two and a half, New England minus two and a half. And all of a sudden now Buffalo is, is minus four in another game where it's likely low scoring because of the conditions and whatnot. Yeah. Um, you know, I just, I just think, again, a slightly inflated line. You get Belichick, um, you know, having played this team twice in recent time and probably having a pretty good game plan out here. Um, so I like New England. And I mean, it, the thing, New England has struggled a bit recently with turnovers. It's not something that they, as a team, usually struggle with. So I think as long as they can avoid the turnovers, this is a game they could win, and certainly getting the four points is value to me. Okay, what else? I'm going to take San Francisco plus the three against Dallas. Um, San Francisco is a team that is, I think, from a from a seasonal standpoint, a little bit underrated simply because um, – They've had a lot of injuries. I mean, when, when Kittle was out and Elijah Mitchell was out, and uh, you know, since those guys have been back, this, guy, this is a top-three offense. Um, and, you know, obviously they struggle a little bit in the secondary, which worries me, but, but Dak is not playing his best ball right now. Um, I think this is a game that San Francisco will win, um, so okay. I, I like them here. What else? And then I'm going to take uh, the Rams minus the four against Arizona. Um, it, it's just... You know, historically, the Rams have had pretty good success against these Kingsbury um, Cardinals. Obviously, they lost earlier this year to them. Yes, they did. People at home. point yeah. to that and say this should be much. But but Arizona was playing much better then. They had a healthy DeAndre Hopkins, and you know they, they really haven't evolved as a team this year. And and you know their win against Dallas was impressive, certainly. But um, I think this is a game. Obviously, the Rams coming off that loss to San Francisco, where they really blew that game. Um, that I think they'll win this game by, you know, a touchdown, and and it'll be a little bit more comfortable than certainly the four point spread. Okay, you want to do one more? Or you want to stop at four? I, I'm going to just do four this week. I mean, I think the other two games okay. are interesting, but they're, the lines are slightly inflated. I think nobody, you know, nobody wants to bet on Pittsburgh, and the lines makers know to get any bet on Pittsburgh. Who is, you know, Pittsburgh is is a bad team, and if you look at their overall advanced metrics. Their, their numbers are close to, you know, closer to like the Jets, the Washington football team, the Bears in terms of rankings and, and really don't belong in the playoffs. And so, you know, if anything, I would take Kansas City, but I think the odds makers have, have, you know, hung an inflated line here. So I don't think there's a lot of value in taking Kansas City. And then the Tampa game is, is somewhat similar. Similar, If anything, again, I would probably take the favorite in Tampa, but I do think they'll Lines have been inflated, especially with Tampa not having a bunch of their skilled players that you'd you'd like to see how that all plays out for them. All right. Thank you, Jeff. You can listen to Jeff and Rufus on Bet the Process, right? Rufus is there with you still. We haven't cashed out on Rufus. (laughs) Every once in a while you think, well, maybe Jeff got rid of Rufus, but I'm glad you haven't. All right. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks, Tony. Jeff Ma, boys and girls. Nigel, you've been talking to Carville. He doesn't want to be on the show, but he has picks. <laughs> no, he's just out on the West Coast. And it was uh, it was too early for him to uh, to wake up for us. But he sent me off. This is unprecedented. Not he's too early taking for Jeff. Every single... Well, that is true. That is a valid point. Uh, but I don't believe Carville's ever taken every single game on the slate, but he's doing that this weekend. He's taking the Raiders. He's taking the hold Pats. On hold on. Hold on. He's taking... I want to, I want to write this down. Raiders... Oh. He's right. taking New England. That's right. He's taking uh-huh. Tampa Bay. Uh-huh. San Francisco. Mm-hmm. The Steelers, which seems like a very steep hill to climb for Pittsburgh. Yeah. And yeah. uh yeah. and uh the Cardinals over the Rams. All right. Well, so the Steelers are getting five and a half at Cincinnati. 
The Raiders right? are. It's on to Cincinnati. New England is getting four at Buffalo. Yes. Tampa Bay is giving eight and a half with Philadelphia. Am I correct on that? San Francisco yes. is plus three at Dallas. Pittsburgh is plus 12 and a half. They're not going to cover at Kansas City. <laughs> I mean, they'll cover and I'll look stupid, but I wouldn't think so. And Arizona is getting four at the L.A. Yes. Rams. He's taking them all. Now, he was one and two last week. He's 37 and 41 overall. If he has a really good week, he's at Mount 500. If he has a really bad week, he's done. So, you know. I, did, he, did he mention T-Boy? Did he say T-Boy Latchley was helping him with these, or is he doing it on his own? What happened to Nigel? What happened to Sean? I'm here. What happened to Nigel? <laughs> oh, Nigel's skipping. All right, who needs him? Out. Who needs him? <laughs> we don't need him. All right, we will come back with email and jingle. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the solo stove ad. There's nothing quite like the feeling of gathering around a warm fire on a cool evening. The last two evenings, Gene, we could have used solo stove because the temperature was around 30. It wasn't like 10 degrees or something like that. I could have put one in my living room, I think. But they would have burned down the apartment okay, okay. at that point. A smokeless fire pit from Solo Stove makes your outdoor moments even more memorable because instead of having to constantly dodge campfire fumes, you can sit back, relax, and actually enjoy the fire. And right now you can get a great deal on a Solo Stove fire pit. You know, Solo Stove, Michael's got one. He's invited me to look at it, but not necessarily sit by it. Tomorrow here is going to be freezing. It's not going to get above 27 degrees. So then you should, you you should, should bring like the Solo Stove with you wherever you go, <laughs> exactly. including the Safeway. Upgrade your backyard with a solo stove fire pit. It's the perfect catalyst for getting outside and spending more time with family and friends. And this is a time when you want to be outside. Build lasting memories around a solo stove fire pit. Solo stove fire pits are brilliantly engineered. They're made with premium grade 304 stainless steel and a 360 degree airflow that maximizes efficiency while minimizing smoke. They're easy to light with a few bits of starter and your fire is blazing in minutes. Shop now, get up to 30% off fire pits all month long. And use the promo code TONYK at checkout to get an extra $10 off. Plus a lifetime warranty and free 30-day returns. Just go to solostove.com. Remember, you get $10 off when you use the promo code TONYK. So what should you do, people? Use the code. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Brandon Costello. That's nice. It's very sweet. He listens, and I appreciate that very much. Uh, Nigel, you want to do the Bethesda Bagel ad, please? Yes, Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in, and you'll be thrilled. And to show you that Nigel knows what kind of show this is, he wrote, Have I ever told you how good it feels to hold you? It isn't easy to explain. And though I'm really trying, I think I may start crying. My heart can't wait another day. When you kiss me, I've just got to say, Baby, I love you. Another one of the really great songs by the Ronettes. Thank you to Jeannie for coming in today. Thank you to Jason Lockenfor of CBS Sports and Jeff Ma, host of Bet the Process. Thanks as well to today's sponsors, Solo Stove, Policy Genius, X-Chair, Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. Um, in the time that we spent talking about Ronnie Spector off-air, uh, there were a couple of things we should have said. Michael brought this up, Dirty Dancing. Yeah, any you, chance you're going to watch that tonight with a tub of ice cream? I have watched Dirty Dancing 400 times. I may watch that again. And Amy Winehouse patterned her entire look 
after um, Ronnie. Ronnie Spector. And also, it's in Mean Streets that Be My Baby. Yeah, yeah. well, because it's, it's a quintessential New York <laughs> kind of tune, obviously. Here are emails are great today. We, we're going to concentrate on rice and sockets. From Brett Lamp. <laughs> Dearest Michael, I have periodically written the show mostly to correct people, nothing on the order of Mike from Burke, but you're clearly in need of my rice expertise, and please don't get your pant in a bunch. Ten plus years ago, I moved to the Bay Area and I had much the same problem as you with my rice. It was always sticky, never the ideal fluffiness that you long for. I had a Chinese emigre roommate at the time who goes by Ava, and she became my rice sinsai. Is that how that word is pronounced? S-I-N-S-A-I? It's pronounced sinsai. Yes. Add some butter and oil no, to the rice Nigel on this one. and toast it in a pan beforehand. <laughs> I'm sure I told that's you a toasting. good tip. But the most single important step is washing your rice until cool water under cool water until it runs clear. This is done ideally in some sort of sieve or cooking strainer, and it removes the excess starch from the rice. This simple tip has changed my rice game immensely, and once you do it, you will never go back. Enjoy the fluffy rice, and a shout out to Ava, who definitely does not listen to the show, but is nonetheless my rice sensei, sensei and I'm forever in her debt, La Cheeserie. From Joe Chamberlain, I'm writing in response to Mr. Michael's request for rice cooking tips. I live in Dubai currently. I was driving with a woman to whom I'm soon to be related by marriage. Ordinarily, she rolls her eyes at the shouting orange bald man when I have him on in the car. But when she heard Michael ask how to stop making rice sticky, she immediately said that I needed to email. Whilst I am no longer a chef, I am trained as such and thought I could make some well-informed recommendations. First off, you need to plan ahead and soak the rice in water for 30 to 40 minutes before cooking. This will draw out the starch. We, we have to believe this. This is the second one. That is likely the cause of your sticky rice. Make sure to pour out the starchy water. Replace a few times during this period. When you're ready to cook, make sure to salt the water. And as Mr. Tony said, use a ratio of two to one. Cook until al dente and then drain. If you overcook it, it will again seem like it's sticky. If there is any room for me to be the official overseas home cooking advisor of the Tony Kornheiser show, then that would make me very happy and will be spoken about on the day of my soon-to-be father-in-law's daughter's wedding. Okay, another one from Michael Cockman. Please tell Michael to look for a Zojirushi rice cooker. It makes different types of rice nearly perfect time and again. Z-O-J-I-R-U-S-H-I. Now we're talking just when I need another kitchen appliance. I'm an appliance. accomplished <laughs> chef who does not use many kitchen gadgets, but I love this tool. I, I have one of those. I have to say I love it. Remember, for best results, always thoroughly wash whatever grain you are cooking. From Kenny Ray in Fort Walton Beach, Florida. Emailed us for 100 years. You're asking your old man how to cook rice, and he tells you to stir the rice? Are you making risotto? What are we doing out here, man? If you're making steamed rice, you need a rice cooker. I've been using the Zojirushi rice yep, cooker yeah, from man. Japan for years. See attached picture from Amazon. I've, uh, which allows the rice cooker to think for itself and make fine adjustments to temperature and heating time to cook perfect rice every time. And it is perfect every time. Prime available? Surely someone, I'm sure, oh, surely sure. someone can send you one of those. And make sure you use jasmine rice from Thailand. Not sure if you can find it at the refugee Safeway, but every Asian market in D.C. will have jasmine rice. Rinse the rice two or three times to wash off the starch. Then use a ratio of one cup to rice to one and a half cups of water. Close the lid and an hour later you have Japanese restaurant quality steamed rice. While I was still flying C-130s for Air Force Special Operations Ooh. Command out of the Philippines, we used to train in Thailand every month, and we'd bring back a ton of Thai jasmine rice. Not figuratively a ton, literally a ton. <laughs> I was a journalism major, words matter. A 2,000-pound cargo pallet of Thai jasmine rice every month. 
God, I miss those days. How long before <laughs> Tony starts trolling for a rice cooker? I, I give it like the next show. From Michael Goldstein. Please pass on to Michael. Bring, I think it's already started. Bring to a boil the water. Add half the amount of rice and water. Add a little tamari. Bring back to a boil. Turn down the flame to the lowest possible flame for 45 minutes. Best with brown rice, but fine with white rice. From Matt Jennings in Dracula, a Dracula, Dracula, Georgia. What in God's name? Who eats chili with rice? Top with sharp cheddars, Fritos, and some sour cream. That's it. That's the list. Come on, man. What are you even doing out here? Another one from Bill Matfield in Fort Mill, South Carolina, just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. Michael, I've had consistently good results with a little bit of oil and a two-to-one water-to-rice ratio. Ideally, all of the water will be evaporated and absorbed at 20 minutes, so you have to adjust the heat depending upon the amount of rice you're serving. For one quarter cup of dry rice, I set my stove to its lowest setting. For a half cup, I usually set it a little higher. But the Zojirushi seems to be the uh, It's right. the way to go. All right. New game. This is from Bob Boxwell in Lusby, Maryland. New game. Oh, boy. I have a 21-piece socket wrench set. Does that count? <laughs> from Mike oh, well. Pennell. Oh, in really? the U.S. Embassy in Khartoum. Khartoum. <laughs> kitchen sockets. I got 11 in my kitchen. But here in Africa, we use 220 volts, so that makes them twice as good. Eat it, everyone. From Landon in Nightdale, North Carolina. I may not be able to compete with Rich from D.C.'s 15 kitchen outlets, but can he top two, count them, two food processors? I don't think so. From Brandon Borzelli, just letting you know we have eight kitchen outlets. It might sound like a lot, but when you factor in the coffee maker, the mixer, air fryer, crock pot, toaster, nightlight, five phone chargers, and a laptop, the outlets go pretty quickly. On par with the number of outlets and variety of plugs using Seb outlets are the number of goldfish varieties. We certainly can't Stand at five. Regular baby, flavor-blasted flavor cheddar, cupcake, and the specialty baby Yoda variety. Oddly enough, our house also carries 14 different types of pasta. Amazingly, we only have five different varieties of cheese. The discrepancy doesn't make any sense. Not sure where any of this is going, but it's nice to take inventory of the kitchen. <laughs> From Michael, the official auto glass technician of the pod in El Mirage, Arizona. I'm eating lunch at my kitchen table. When Monday, January 10th, mailbag starts and the outlet count begins, I immediately look up and begin counting the outlets in my kitchen. I even got out of my seat because I couldn't remember if the trash can blocks one so I could get an accurate count. Come on, man. What are we even doing here? From Dave Schramm well, in Colchester, Vermont. The, 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 the spread of this is amazing. The, the geography is I'd like to get in on the kitchen outlet thing. I think I have a shot, but I need clarification. Our kitchen has an attached dining nook. There isn't a wall delineating them as a separate room. Do I count those outlets? Yes. Yeah. There are a bunch, and I'd like to get them in. If I don't count them, where do I count them? There are also outlets behind the refrigerator, refrigerator, micro, wave, and stove. Do I count those? Do you have to be able to see them? Four of the switches has, have dimmers. Are they worth extra? What about the garage? Man, the show is a lot of work. And from Will Green in McKinney, Texas, 10 outlets and one very concerned woman to whom I'm related by marriage. I've never met Pat. Never met Pat Forty. It's brilliant, <laughs> brilliant. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. But I still need a bit of milk, full fat, which I've warmed in the microwave. <laughs> Don't go to the giant. Twenty words and not enough action. Twenty words that get in the way.
in a dream we were free in a dream for one moment i was all i should be Get back up and lose it all 